A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the new movie about Mr. Rogers featuring Tom Hanks, came out this week. I haven't seen it yet, but I hope to soon. There was a tribute to Mr. Rogers in the New York Times this week written by Jean Marie Laskus, a woman who was mentored by Rogers throughout her career. Perhaps you saw it. Though they didn't work together, the office microwave was near his studio, which gave her frequent opportunities to steal glances at this genius at work. She observed a man who didn't sit behind a desk. More often than not, he could be found sitting on the floor creating blankets and crowns for puppet characters with names like King Friday and Daniel Striped Tiger. When he wasn't creating costumes or props, he was writing scripts, scripts that no one else could help or even begin to create. She recalls the day King Friday declared that there would be a bass violin festival throughout the kingdom. Now, I don't even know what a bass violin is or if there is, even is one. But the citizens protested because King Friday was the only one in the entire kingdom who knew how to play this instrument. To which he responded, and so I am. It looks like I will have a very large audience. This sent them scrambling to figure out a way to be a part of the festival. One dressed her accordion to look like a bass violin. Another practiced a dance. A goat recited a poem in goat language about a bass violin. Meh. If you didn't know what was going on, said one of the guys in the crew, it could be a very weird situation. Almost like Fellini for preschoolers. A few years passed, and as she was preparing to leave her job for another, she stopped by to thank Mr. Rogers for all that he had taught her. In typical fashion, he turned the thank you back on her, and he said, I think it's very important to learn that what you receive is largely because of who you are. I could be saying the same words and giving the same thoughts to somebody else who could be thinking something very different than you are. You might remember the story Judge Yates just read about the healing of the ten lepers. It's a story often told in Sunday school to remind us to say thank you. But like all good stories, it's more nuanced than that. Before Jesus could see them, he heard the cry of the lepers who waited for him on the road that day. Keeping the prescribed distance, they called out, Jesus, 
Master, have pity on us. He looked at them and saw what anyone could see. They were literally being eaten up by their disease, and they needed all the pity they could get. No one wanted anything to do with them, yet Jesus responded, Go. There's that word again we heard the middle school mission trip talk about. God keeps asking people of faith to move. Go, he said. Show yourselves to the priest. And they disappeared. It was possible to be cured of this atrocious disease. There are two full chapters in the book of Leviticus teaching priests how to make a diagnosis and then to perform rites to receive people back into the community should they be healed. That's where Jesus sent them that day. For this group of ten, the order to, to appear before a priest could only mean one thing. It was a done deal. They were healed. They sprinted their bodies miraculously, starting to heal fingers and toes, regenerated tissues, became pink and healthy again. Where there had been disease and deterioration, there was health. There was wholeness. Nine went on to have the priests verify their cures and restore them to society. One turned back. And didn't stop until he lay his feet, his face at the feet of Jesus, praising God and giving thanks. Just one recognized the gift when he saw it and returned to say thank you. And here's what Jesus said. Your faith has made you well. Which was more than a health prognosis. The translation is literally, your faith has saved you. It's as if he was saying, the other nine, well, they may be cured, but you, you have new life. Scott Jose, a colleague of mine at Calvin Seminary, identifies a familiar loop in this story. He remembers his days in graduate school when he was surrounded by students from all over the world. And in basic conversations, he discovered a common dynamic in giving thanks. Perhaps you've heard this as well. In German, if you, say, if you thank someone by saying, Danke, the person whom you are thanking is likely to respond, Bitte, which is the German equivalent of, you're welcome. Except that bitte is also the word for please. It comes from the verb bitten, which means to ask for something, to make a request. Its roots are in the German verb beten, which is to pray. And something similar happens in Italian. When he said grazie to his Italian neighbor, she would say prego. And when he asked her what that meant, 
he learned that curiously, it is a form of the word or the word prega, which also means to ask, to pray for something. A little light bulb went off in his head. Bitte and prego are words we use to ask for something. And linguistically, there's a connection between requesting and the response we get when we say thank you. Bitte. Danke. Bitte. Prego. Grazie. Prego. Or in English, we expect to hear, please. Thank you. You're welcome. We ask for something by saying please, and when we get what we ask for, we say thank you. And then that person whom we are thanking gives our original please just a half twist, so as if to turn it. You're welcome. It completes a cycle, closing a natural loop of giving. Jose cautions with these words, make no mistake, that is a natural loop. And when it's not closed, when the circle is not completed, things are out of joint. Ingratitude sets in. David Bartlett, a New Testament professor at Yale, sees the story of the tenth leper through the lens of that closed loop. He says it's really an account of two healings, one from leprosy, and even more importantly, secondly, from ingratitude, which from the perspective of Jesus is a life-threatening, spirit-threatening, health and well-being threatening sin. I've done some thinking about gratitude this week and have come to the conclusion that we are not born with the instinct to give thanks. It's not natural to us. How many of you have ever offered a small gift to a child only to hear the parents say, what do you say? Giving thanks is something we need to be taught or trained to do. Anyone who remembers a parent putting a stack of thank you notes on your desk after a birthday party knows this. Anyone who has ever received a text from their mother saying, Has my gift arrived yet? (laughs) You know that giving thanks is not natural. We don't give in order to receive gratitude. However, from the giver's point of view, gratitude completes that loop of giving. If it's not offered the act feels empty, 
the loop is still open. It's still incomplete. Jesus may have known something that neuroscientists are just discovering when he said your faith has made you well. Sophie experienced that at the food bank in Chicago. That is the regular practice of expressing gratitude is good for us. In a neurological experiment conducted by researchers at UCLA, brain activity was measured as subjects were induced to feel grateful by receiving gifts. The area of the brain showed increased activity in the medial prefrontal cortex, which is associated with moral and social cognition. This led to the conclusion that the emotion of gratitude supports a positive attitude towards others and a feeling of relief from stressors. And not only that, but this positive influence of gratitude continues past that particular event if the emotion is relived, like Sophie did as she shared her story with us today, and when a thank you note is written. I swear the research discovered that. They mentioned thank you notes. In other words, through the power of gratitude, you can literally rewire your brain. You can usher in health. You can save your life with new life. Bitte. Danke. Bitte. Prega. Grazie. Prego. Please. Thank you. You're welcome. She was just trying to say thank you that day in Mr. Rogers' office, but he wanted to link her gratitude to her request, to connect her thank you to her pleas. I think it's very important to learn that what you receive is largely a part of who you are, he said. I could be saying the same words and giving the same thoughts to somebody else who could be thinking of something very different. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Mr. Rogers went on, it's so very hard receiving. When you give something, you're in much greater control. But when you receive something, you're vulnerable. I think the greatest gift you can ever give is an honest receiving of what that person has to offer. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? 
Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you, given you new life. She left his office that day thinking it is impossible to really thank that man. But she was in that healing, life-giving, completed loop of giving and gratitude. And Mr. Rogers recognized the honest receiving of what he had to offer. He might have even said, Bitte, prego, you're welcome. She just remembers going home that day with goat poems swirling in her head. That was close enough. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.